Good morning, Harvest Huntsville. It has been a few months since I've been with y'all, and it is good to be here this morning. Head on over to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you're new here, we've just been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse by verse. So head on to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if you ever get to know me, you're going to know that I love animal shows. You put me in front of a planet Earth all day Saturday, that's my jam. I also love psychology articles and journals. So I'm going to tell you a story that actually ties in both. So there was actually a park, and BBC actually did a report on this. So there's a park where they started to notice a bunch of dead rhinos. Now, it's not unheard of at a watering hole for there to be a dispute and to have an odd dead animal, but the problem was the park reported 50 dead rhinos. Their causes of death were puncture marks on their shoulders, which means there's only one type of animal that kills a rhino from above. This park has an elephant problem. So they bring in an elephant expert, and they're going, something is wrong. What is going on? It doesn't take long for the elephant expert to conclude something, and it's this. You've got teenage elephants. They're all hopped up on hormones, trying to one-up each other, and they're acting very different than their species. But you have a bigger problem. You don't have any older elephants that are males. The expert concluded, you have male elephants that don't know how to male elephant. They haven't been shown, they haven't been taught what it looks like. So they bring in five to six bull elephants, and guess what happens within hours? These young male rhinos' behavior drastically changes because they've been given a model. They're looking to something greater than themselves, and they're like, ah, this is how to male elephant. Now, what's really cool, tying this into psychology, was that this was actually used in an academic paper for inner-city youth who are caught up in gangs. Most of them have never had a father figure in their life to show them what it means to be a man and to grow up to be a man. And so they grow up into these hyper-aggressive versions of themselves, just kind of taking shots in the dark. Maybe this is what it means to be me. Now, we've been going through Ephesians verse by verse. And I want to propose to you a question, and, and it might be this. Are we Christians who know how to Christian? Are we Christians who know how to Christian? Because we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 4, and we're about to see some walk-this-out passages. But here's where I want to start with encouragement. In Ephesians chapter 4, we've been given Christ. To use the animal analogy, he's the perfect, greater, older elephant who has perfectly walked out what we're going to be commanded to walk in. And what we're going to do when we look into Ephesians chapter 4 is we're going to look at these commands, but we're going to see how Christ has already perfectly fulfilled them. We're going to see how he has put his spirit within us for us to walk this completely out. And so if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 with me, 
Now, this is what we've been doing uh, in, in Bracebridge lately. I don't know how you guys do it here, but will you stand out of reverence for God's word with me here today? Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every type of impurity. But that is not the way that you have learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him and you were taught him as the truth as in, that is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Pray with me, church. So, Lord, we're going to look to your word to see your design. And, Lord, we want to walk in the fullness of that. And, Lord, I can't help but fall short of this on such a regular basis. So thank you for grace that meets us. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us. Thank you for your word that informs us. And, Lord, I pray with whoever's in front of me here today, wherever they're at and whatever they're going through, God, I ask, would you have something for us? Would we leave this room with more hope than when we came in? Would we leave this room saying that we encountered you, Father? In Christ's name, amen. You can grab a seat. Now, maybe you're new here this morning, and you're like, Matt, I missed the first four chapters of Ephesians. I'm going to give you the Coles notes in 30 seconds. Deal? Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he goes to the saints in Ephesus, which is so beautiful because when you understand the rooting of the word saint, it means holy set-apart ones. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it goes further to say that you have been pre-chosen by God. According to the joy of his own will, he has set you apart to be holy and to be blameless. In fact, he chose you before the world was even created. And then Ephesians chapter 2 kicks in. And you were once dead in your sins and your trespasses, following anything and everything but God, but God, being rich in grace and mercy and in love, he brought you from death to life. By grace you have been saved, and you have no room to boast. You have no self-merit in it. God just graciously chose to do that in you. Then Ephesians 3 kicks in, and he talks about how now what God is doing isn't reserved to a back room in a temple, but the dividing room has been torn. That, that his spirit is now indwelling within you, and that you are types of living stones in a new type of temple he is building. And that we were called to be stewards of this gospel. We don't just receive it, but rather we go on mission with it all at the same time. Why? Ephesians chapter 3, the gospel is for all. It's no longer for the Jews. It's also equally for the Gentiles. And then he ends in chapter 3 with the most amazing prayer I think we should open and end every service with, and it's this, that you would be strengthened with the strength of God that you would be able to understand the love that Christ has for you and that you would be able to know the love that Christ has for you. And his prayer equally continues to go on, that you would understand this type of love 
and that you would be filled with the fullness of Christ in your life. And then he's like, you're probably having a hard time comprehending all this, which is why he ends with the coolest part of the prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything you say or ask. And then Ephesians 4 now kicks in, which is a key pivotal moment. And Ephesians chapter 4 is this. We have one head, which is Christ. We are part of one body. And here's how we maintain unity. Now comes in 17, which is what we're preaching through today. And so we start to see Ephesians 1 through 3 �����������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������
because it is a life of a futile mind that is darkened in understanding. And Paul's next descriptor of the old self is it's alienated from the life of God. In verse 18, look at that with me, church. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. They live lives that are apart from what life with Christ is. I want, you, I want you to just do something with me. If you know Christ here today, go to that day when you, when you gave your life to him, the day that you got saved, okay? Now go one day before that day. What was that day like? For many of us, it was maybe just another day, or maybe for a lot of us, it was a really dark, hard season. And then that next day, when the Spirit of God meets us, when that Spirit of God saves us, now we're welcomed into a type of life and life abundant in our walk with the Lord. And Paul is saying, no longer walk like you're dead because you've been brought to Christ. In fact, if we've been preaching through Ephesians verse by verse, even though I haven't been here as a campus, you would have gone through Ephesians 2.12, which is two chapters back. And it goes, before Christ, we were separated from him, alienated and strangers from the promises of God. How do you know that Christ gives you life and life abundance? Because you go from alienated from the life of God and strangers to God to now being called sons and daughters of him. And now that you've been made citizens of heaven, fellow co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters in a greater type of family that we've been walking into, he's going, don't go back to the old ways. He's given us a life and a name. Don't go back to the darkness and the death. And so Paul is saying, put off the old. No longer desire to be futile and darkened in thinking. No longer live like those who are cut off from Christ. And Paul's third and fourth descriptors here is callous and given up. It's in verse 19. Look there with me, church. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Pause. Their hearts have become hard. Their hearts have become callous, unfeeling. It shows us this in verse 18. And when I got to this part of the sermon prep, I just thought of so many times in my life story where I'm just on the hamster wheel of my foolishness. And I'm in the hamster wheel of my types of sin. And if you've ever seen a hamster wheel, all it is is cardio without a trajectory, which is the most discouraging thing ever. It's like at that gym, you know that stair machine? You're two stairs from the top, but there's always another stair coming. If I die without Christ, I'm on that machine for all of eternity. But there's so many times in my life, and I don't know if you're anything like me, where I get stuck in a rut of my old ways. And I do it again and again and again and again and again. And, and that's not even the most dangerous part. The most dangerous part is when I do it again and again and again and again, I lose conviction over it. I start to become numb to the thing that really is killing me. And I start to welcome it. And where I once had conviction, I know I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't good. This isn't life for me. It's tearing me up. It's tearing my walk up with the Lord. It's destroying my relationships around me. And I keep doing it again and again and again. And now I'm becoming numb to the very thing that's killing me. 
You ever played with your sin too long? You ever played with your old ways too long? Me too. But how beautiful is Paul's warning here? Don't go back to that. Don't give in to it. You've been saved from it. In fact, do you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, 2 through 4, it says it, the ways in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Isn't it unbelievable that before Christ, we can't help but be enslaved to the thing that's killing us? We cannot help but give ourselves over to X, Y, Z. You fill in whatever that looks like in your life story. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, in the middle of your death, in the middle of your enslavement, but God. And then he takes us from this camp of enslaved and dead, and he brings us to this camp of life and life abundant. And Paul is just going, don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to what you've been freed from. Can I philosophically just ask you a question really quick? Why do you think Paul even writes this? Why does Paul warn, don't live like they do, don't go back to your old ways? Have you ever thought of that fact that he's writing that is actually encouraging? Why? Because he knows this guy named Matt King in a few thousand years. Don't ask me how many years. I probably should have looked that up and said it right here and looked and sounded a lot smarter than I do right now, but that's fine. Because Matt is going to be tempted to go back. I want to go back to my old ways at times. I want to go back to the old self. I'm often tempted on a regular basis. I think Paul's words were the exact same thing. He's normalizing something that we're all going to struggle with. And he's warning you, you no longer are enslaved. Don't go back to the thing you've been freed from, but walk in the fullness of life that he has welcomed you to as a follower of Christ. And Paul after spending three chapters showing us who we are in Jesus, is giving us a warning. He's giving us a beautiful exhortation. Don't go back and live into the futility that you've been saved from. Don't go back into the darkened understanding when God has turned on the lights. Don't go back to being aliens and foreigners when you've been made sons and daughters. Don't go back to callousness when he's given you softness. Don't go being back to just giving yourself up to anything and everything when Jesus has freed you from it. I remember uh, one time, one of my first jobs was detailing private jets and exotic cars. If you're wondering, do valets abuse your vehicles? Yes, we do. <laughs> and I remember... Uh, being handed the keys to uh, a McLaren. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for today. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember when I returned the car detailed, I parked next to my Kia. 
And I was like, oh, this is hard. This is, this is very, very difficult. I want you to know when you settle for anything less than Christ, you get out of the McLaren and you sit in the Kia. Can you do it? Yep. Will I judge you? Yep. You see, religion, if we can be honest, if Ephesians, the book of Ephesians just ends here, then it just sounds like a religious book. Just don't do this. Right? Like, I grew up in a behavioralism model of Christianity. Look like the part, whether you're the part or not, and you'll be fine. And I was like, this is hollow and empty. I don't like this. But here we're about to see Paul isn't just like, hey, don't go back to the old self. He's inviting us into something far more greater. He's going to go do this. Now, I see from Paul's defense theologically why I don't want to go back. I read the verse skeptically before, but like, okay, you know what? I get it. I get it. Death, even though it looks like life, it's death. Now, Paul's going to go walk this way. Now, I'm equally going to be like, okay, show me why this new self is really worth walking out in the fullness of. So we see here in, in Ephesians chapter 4, the calling in verses 20 through 24, nurture the new. So really, kill the old, don't walk in the old, but now we start to see Paul is going, nurture this new self. And the old self was described as darkened and callous and dead, but we start to see here in a beautiful way this new self. First off, in verses 20 through 22, it's described as learned, heard, and taught. Look at verses 20 through 22 with me, church. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught him as the truth is in him, to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. If you know Christ here today, it's because you went through a threefold kind of like uh, experience. You learned about who Christ was, you heard about who Christ was, and you were taught him. If we're going to walk out the new self, we start to see truth is critical to walk it out. It is through our giving of our life to Christ and salvation that we, we're given a type of light where we were just darkened. It's through the truth of the gospel that we are given a type of life where we're just stuck in death. And salvation isn't, isn't just key for learning it's critical for rewalking. Salvation isn't just a moment that you remember, oh, on this day I gave my life to Christ. We often had to go back to those moments for these little worship experiences. I was once dead. I was once following anything and everything but Christ. I was once ensnared to whatever you want to fill that in with. Can I encourage you? When was the last time you went back to your salvation experience and just had a moment with the Lord of praise and worship? And so we hear Christ, we learn Christ, and we're taught Christ. And so now what we're doing is we're relearning how to walk. Do you know my life story? Three years ago, I almost died. My body crashed like Windows 98's blue screen of death. <laughs> and so it decided to do a reset, and it just didn't reboot quite the same way. So a lot of the right side of my body is numb. Can I tell you something? Relearning how to walk is extremely difficult. 
I had no idea how much subconsciously goes into stepping that you're unaware of. And so what I had to do was spend a few months in an adult jolly jumper attached to the ceiling where they're like, hey, Matt, move your right leg forward, put it on the ground. And then you're like, uh, is it on the ground or is it not on the ground? Because we had to relearn how to train me how to walk based off of sight, not sensation, right? Because you can't really walk very well on numbness, right? And they're like, okay, Matt, shift your weight. And you're like, oh. okay, now pivot, great. Now lift your left leg up and walk forward. And so now this newness of walking, and I'm like, oh, this is so hard, which is why when I see a toddler learning to walk, I am their biggest cheerleader every single time. You have no idea what those little guys are going through. And guess what? It was hard. Relearning how to walk was humiliating. But by the grace of God, I'm up and I'm walking. And by the way, it was a process. And it was not a cute process. It was the jolly jumper phase, then the walker phase, then the double arm crutch phase. And can I tell you something about my wife? She is not here today. She's in Bracebridge. So confidentiality in what I'm about to tell you, okay? My wife was the biggest supporter I could have ever had. If I was in the jolly jumper, I'm proud of you. I love you. Keep going. If I was on the double forearm crutch, I'm proud of you. I love you. Keep going. If I was just on canes, I'm proud of you. I love you. Keep going. Now that I'm walking unassisted, I'm proud of you. I love you. Clean up your bedside table. Keep going. (laughs) Can I tell you something? She was as proud of me in the process as the end result. And she's a sinner. That's the part you can't tell her. And she's a sinner. So can I tell you something? If my wife, who is imperfect, can have that type of narrative over my life, how much more the Lord's narrative over you? Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation that's in the jolly jumper because you're just struggling so hard to walk out this new type of life? You know what the Lord says? I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. Keep going. If you feel like you're just on double forearm crutches in Christianity, and you're like, Matt, I look like Frankenstein, and I'm barely going. You know what the Lord says to you? I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. Keep going. The fact that you're up and going is evidence of my spirit at life and work in you. If you're walking unassisted, and you're like really encouraged in this season of life, you're actually a discouraging person, but whatever. And then the Lord says the same narrative. I'm proud of you, son and daughter. Keep going. The fact that you're up and going is evidence of life at, of the Spirit of God at work in you. My question is, where are you? In fact, in, 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 in ministry, I've had a lot of really cool experiences. I had an opportunity to walk with a Navy SEAL once. Coolest guy ever. And so he talked about how he, uh, he had drowned in an exercise. They brought him up poolside and they resuscitated him. And so he said that he was kind of whining to the medic a little bit. He's like, that was a hard experience. I don't ever want to do that again. Now, Navy medics are a different breed. He told him to shut up. And he goes, are you feeling? And the guy responded, yes. He goes, then you're alive. I've held too many people that don't feel. 
Are you feeling in your walk with the Lord? Then you know what it is? It's evidence. Because dead people do not feel. Are you struggling? Are you limping? Are you attached to the ceiling in a jolly jumper? Are you on double forearm crutches? Are you on canes? Are you walking around? All I know is it's evidence that there is a type of new self that the gospel wants to meet and empower all at the same time. We get to put off something broken and failing. And I love Paul's language. Did you see it? The former self which means the old is no longer dominant. It means the old no longer owns you. If you want to actually study these, these types of words in the text, it's using the imagery of taking old, dirty clothes off. And what do we now get to put on? It's the righteousness of Christ that has been given to you because of the cross. Now we get to walk in a new self. That's why I love baptism so much. Do you understand how symbolic and powerful a baptism is? Right? Like you sit there and you lower somebody in the tank, which is there's a part of that person that is now dead and buried and no more. Now, I'm glad I'm not doing a live baptism right now because they're holding their breath and the bubbles are stopped coming to the surface. But then in this imagery, you bring this person up and you raise them in this new type of life. Old is dead and buried. New is alive and up. And that is the work of God through Ephesians chapters 1 through 4. And that's the work that he is doing in and through you. That's why it's got to be this like divine morning when the heavens look in. And they see what I've been welcomed into and, and the fullness of what God has for me. And I go, no thanks, I'm going over here. And I trade life and life abundant for a type of death that is fleeting and failing. And so we shake off the old, but we walk in the new. So first we learn, we hear, and we're taught Christ. But from this truth, we see in verse 23, we renew the new. And to be renewed in the spirits of your minds. What a beautiful phrase. Be renewed. God is going after the mind of the believer, not merely the behavior. Why would God go after the mind? Because he knows for all of us in this room, wherever you're at, that is where your thought life lives. That's where your desires are discussed. Your wishes, like what drives you as a human being. And it says that we've been given a new spirit, which means we have a new mind. How do I know this? Because Paul is saying, apart from Christ, you're darkened, you're callous, and you're dead. But in salvation, with a new mind and a new spirit that is put in us, it changes our desires, it changes our beliefs, and it changes our, our want that we went from death to now the opportunity to be constantly renewed. And Paul is saying, this new self, this new mind, this new spirit that is in you, renew it, cultivate it, nurture it. Why? What's the power of renewing? It's a safeguard. Yes, it allows us to walk in the fullness of what God has for us, but it's equally a safeguard from going back to the very darkness that it saved us from. And I don't know about you, but man, there's parts of that, that old self that just love to whisper to Matt. Matt, remember this. 
Maybe you struggle with shame and guilt, and that old dead self loves to whisper to you, he doesn't have that for you. Because you did this. And you look at the word of God and the promises of God, and you're like, oh, that's great for the Baptist down the road for me, but not for me. Remember, the old self does not own you. It no longer is dominant over you. So it might whisper to you, that's fine, but it whispers to you from a place of complete defeat because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I love this because how is this new self described as? It's created in the likeness of Christ in verse 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So beautiful, church, this new self. It's designed to be a mirror, reflecting a greater image that as we put off corrupt, evil, callous desires, darken in understanding, what we get to put on is so pure, so gentle, so life-giving, so freeing that when we remember that we're saved by Christ, our old self was buried by his works on the cross, praise God. But remember, our new self is modeled after his character and his being. Answer me quietly in, in your mind, but it's this. What are your favorite attributes of Christ? Is it his patience, his gentleness, his love, his perseverance? Because we're created in the likeness of that, you get to help embody that and put it on display. Because the new self is not modeled after how we choose it to be modeled. It's modeled after how God has designed it to be modeled. And it's modeled after his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says that it's in the likeness of Jesus. And he ends with this unique phrase there. I don't know if you saw it. In true righteousness and holiness... It's fascinating. I had to do a little bit of digging there in sermon prep. Righteousness is referring to our conduct with one another, and holiness is referring to our relationship with the Lord. Isn't it interesting that created in the likeness of Christ, it means that we're designed to have relationship with the Lord, and it's designed to have relationship with one another. How do you know that's true? Because remember, the older male elephant named Jesus Christ has perfect relationship with the Father and has perfect relationship with one another. This is why Christianity isn't designed to be an island with just you and God. It's designed to have one anotherness, brotherhood, sisterhood in it. It's about community. And if you're looking at this new self and don't walk in the old self, just remember, Christ has done this perfectly. Has he not perfectly served you? Has he not perfectly served the Lord? Has he not saved you? Has he not put his spirit in you? Has he not made you after his likeness? Then can I encourage you, Christian? I'm always more comfortable kind of pushing harder on males right now than females, so just roll with me here. Are you a young male Christian that just doesn't know how to Christian? Why don't you humble yourself before an older male Christian and be like, hey, would you mentor me? I'm trying to walk out this new design and I am confused and I am hopped up on hormones. Calm me down. 
Here's the flip side. Are you an experienced Christian? Why not mentor? If you've got spare time and you're in retirement and you're chasing a white ball down a green field, what a waste. Do you know how many of us young men haven't really had a great fatherly model? And so we're just trying to stumble through life, trying to figure it out, not from a bad heart, but from just lack of experience. And I'm like, a lot of us are like, I don't know how to love a wife. I don't know how to dad. And if you're that older male that right now his inner lawyer is kicking in and he's like, but I've only done it wrong. Do you know how encouraging that is for us younger men? Because you could be like, just don't do this. And we'd be like, okay. I need this in my life right now. I've got four kids under the age of 10. My home is unique right now. <laughs> and ready? I'll bleed in front of you joyfully. I just want my kids to be teenagers and out of the diaper phase. If I have to watch one more Peppa Pig, if I have to change one more diaper. And you know what I have right now? I have older males speaking into my life going, do you know how much I would long to hold my daughter again in my arms? Do you know how much I wish, because I didn't, I could read my son devotions at night before I was putting him in the bed? My mentors are highly imperfect men that are really skilled in some areas and really unskilled in other areas. It's opportunities for me to learn both. One of our, my fears for us as a church, are we Christians who know how to Christian? And we need one another to learn and to grow in it. You're more needed than you know. And a lot of young men, and this is no different for young women, need older women and men to believe in them, to pour in them, and to show them, hey, you know what, here's ways I've screwed up, here's ways that I'm walking it out, but here's how Jesus met me in all of it. Now, as, as Dan comes up and just kind of pads lately in the background. I want to ask you guys a question out of Ephesians today. What are you walking in? What are you walking in today? Are you the Christian who's learned to go back to the thing you've been saved from? Are you on the hamster wheel of numbness? Maybe it's a season of your life where you're like, Matt, I haven't just learned to go back. It's like I'm learned to live there again. Are you in the cynical pattern of defeat? Matt, I've tried. I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried this. Nothing works and there's nothing more for me. Are you so discouraged and defeated maybe here today? That you think what God offers, what Paul is talking about, it doesn't even apply to you. I'm too far gone. I've done it one too many times. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Matt, I don't even think I can put on the new because I don't even know who this Christ was because you're like, oh, you got to be shared, taught, and shown who Christ is. Then let me give you the most encouraging message, and it's this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
humbled himself and left the comfort and the glories of heaven and came to earth. And he lived the perfect life you could never live. And he was obedient. He fulfilled every command of the law that God had laid out, and he did it perfectly. And then we killed him. And on that cross, like Ephesians 1, when he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, he goes to the cross and he dies your death. Why do you even have to die a death? It's because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a penalty to my sin, and it's a physical death, and it's a spiritual death. And Jesus Christ, out of his Ephesians 2, great love for you. He goes, he goes, Matt, I'm going to eat your death for you. I'm going to take the wrath of God and the consequences of your sin, and I'm going to put it on me, and I'm going on the cross. And then three days later, this Savior named Jesus Christ conquered the grave and conquered sin and rose back to life. And Jesus Christ and you are not on the cross, but the sin is. Quit taking the thing that isn't on you, but is on the cross, and quit trying to rip it off in some type of false humility and trying to put it back on you. Leave it up there. And now he gives you this opportunity. I tasted your death. I paid the consequence for your sin and your condemnation. Now come to me. And maybe you struggle with shame and guilt, and you're like, but this and this and this. He removed all the obstacles. Nothing stops you from approaching Christ and God on his throne other than God, and he doesn't stop you. Are you on the hamster wheel? Stop running. Bend a knee. If you don't know Christ, what a sweet gift it is to offer your life to him. Lord, I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark, but you didn't sin. You didn't fall short. You didn't miss the mark, and you died my death. I give my life to you. And maybe you're putting on the new self, but you feel like you're in the jolly jumper. You're in the double forearm crutches. You're in the walker, wherever you're at. Or maybe you're up and walking, but you're like, oh, my leg feels a little numb, and it feels kind of funky, but I'm going. You ready to know what it means to renew your mind? We're going to do it as a group right here and right now, and it's this. This is just Ephesians 1 through 4. God, I'm already chosen. I might be struggling. I might be falling short. But Jesus, I'm trying to follow you, and it's from who I already am. I'm not going to perform, so hopefully I'll be. I'm not going to achieve, so hopefully I can earn. I remember that I am called. I am saved. I'm no longer dirty and broken. I'm holy and blameless because of Jesus Christ. And when that death comes whispering to me, I know that Ephesians 2, I've already been brought from death to life. 
and I'm, Lord, even in this moment, I feel like I'm having that struggle. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get off this hamster wheel, and there's nothing ever more for me. But in this moment, I'm renewing my mind, and I remind myself, you put your spirit in me. And there's a type of strength that comes from you that allows me to walk this out. I'm not random. I'm not so broken that I can't be used. I'm not just a throwaway part. According to Ephesians, I'm a living stone in a new type of temple he's trying to build. And I'm tired and I'm weary. It's been a hard season, but I remember that I'm being strengthened with a strength that comes from you according to your will. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get this, and I don't know how this all plays out, but I, I choose to remember that the love that you have for me. And I don't want to just cognitively understand it, but like Paul's prayer, Lord, I choose to lean into the, the, the knowing and the experience of, of your depth of your love for me. And this old self that whispers to me, I am dead and I am enslaved and I, I can't ever walk out what the Lord has for me. I remember Paul's prayer that I want to be filled with the fullness of Christ. And for being unified with one another because we're one body with one head, Jesus Christ. We want to walk out the fullness of his life, of his life-giving design. And we're going to take off this old self it's dead, it's darkened, it's callous, and it's life apart from Christ that has been put to death by Christ. And today, and here, and now, I'm putting on the new. It's enlightened, it's feeling, and it's in perfect union with Jesus Christ, made in the likeness of Jesus Christ, and loved with a love so deep, and empowered with a power so vast. Church, what we're going to do is simply walk out what we already are. Let's pray. So God, we come before you right now, looking to Ephesians. God, thank you that there is not a man or a woman in front of me here and now that doesn't have an opportunity to come to you. Rather, you've made full opportunity. So, God, whether we need to surrender our life to you, Lord, whether we need to have a moment where we put off the thing that we know we shouldn't be wearing, but we are, I thank you for your grace that we can even see these things, that we can, we can um, accurately assess where we're at. Because according to Hebrews, in moments of conviction, it's, it's demonstration of sonship. It's demonstration of, of daughtership because you convict the ones that are yours. And Lord, we see the beauty of the new self and we want to walk in the fullness of that. But if we're ever going to walk in the fullness of that, then we need to pause and worship the one that is made in the likeness of. Thank you, Jesus, for your holiness. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfection. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit that you put in us. Thank you for the humility that you had to lower yourself so that you would even die our death so that we could have a type of life and life abundant. Would we not settle 
for anything lower than that because you freely give it to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.